My pleasure to be with you this morning, and it's a short reading, Deuteronomy 32, verse 11. Hear the word of God. As an eagle stirs up its nest, hovers over its young, spreading out its wings, taking them up, carrying them on its wings, so the Lord alone led him, and there was no foreign God with him. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you. We bless you uh, that you are the sovereign who governs every atom of this universe. You have said in Hebrews that the Lord Jesus Christ upholds all things by the word of his power. Uh, We thank you, Father, that uh, your providence uh, is executing the decrees that you made from eternity past and that your promise is that what you began in us, you will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. And we glory in that, and we're thankful for it. And I pray for your blessing to rest upon this, your people, and that uh, you would anoint my lips and enable me to faithfully bring your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> William... J. Long was a naturalist who would spend weeks and weeks uh, looking at eagles and describing their behavior, constantly writing notes down about them. And even though his fascinating book has been uh, long out of print, uh, it was recently uh, reprinted in ebook format. And so a few weeks ago, I downloaded that. And I want to read you a little uh, section that describes. Uh, something very similar to this, and I don't usually read long illustrations like this, but so many commentators have dogmatically said that eagles don't do what verse 11 describes them as doing that I thought I would read to you what a, a naturalist observed with his own eyes. After giving a lot of background of what was happening in the previous days, he said, one day when I came to the little thicket on the cliff where I used to lie and watch the nest through my glass, I found that one eaglet was gone. The other stood on the edge of the nest, looking down fearfully into the abyss, whither, no doubt, his bolder nestmate had flown, and calling disconsolately from time to time. His whole attitude showed plainly that he was hungry and cross and lonesome. Presently, the mother eagle came swiftly up from the valley, and there was food in her talons. She came to the edge of the nest, hovered over it a moment so as to give the hungry eaglet a sight and smell of food, and then went slowly down to the valley, taking the food with her, telling the little one in her own way to come, and he should have it. He called after her loudly from the edge of the nest and spread his wings a dozen times to follow, but the plunge was too awful. His heart failed him, and he settled back in the nest and pulled his head down into his shoulders and shut his eyes and tried to forget that he was hungry. The meaning of the little comedy was plain enough. She was trying to teach him to fly, telling him that his wings were grown and the time was come to use them, but he was afraid. In a little while, she came back again, this time without food, and hovered over the nest, trying every way to induce the little one to leave it. She succeeded at last, when, with a desperate effort, he sprang upward and flapped to the ledge above where I had sat and watched him with old Whitehead. Then after surveying the world gravely from his new place, he flapped back down to the nest and turned a deaf ear to all his mother's assurances that he could fly just as easily to the treetops below if he only would. Suddenly, as if discouraged, she rose well above him. I held my breath, for 
for I knew what was coming. The little fellow stood on the edge of the nest, looking down at the plunge, which he dared not take. There was a sharp cry from behind, which made him alert, tense as a watch spring. The next instant, the mother eagle had swooped, striking the nest at his feet, sending his support of twigs and himself with them out into the air together. He was afloat now, afloat on the blue air in spite of himself, and flapped lustily for life. Over him, under him, beside him, hovered the mother on tireless wings, calling softly that she was there. But the awful fear of the depths and the lance tops of the spruces was upon the little one, His flapping grew more wild. He fell faster and faster. Suddenly, more in fright, it seemed to me, than because he had spent his strength, he lost his balance and tipped his head downward in the air. It was all over now, it seemed. He folded his wings to be dashed in pieces among the trees. Then, like a flash, the old mother eagle shot under him. His despairing feet touched her broad shoulders between her wings. He righted himself, rested an instant, found his head, then she dropped like a shot from under him, leaving him to come down on his own wings. A handful of feathers torn out by his claws hovered slowly down after them. It was all the work of an instant before I lost them among the trees far below, and when I found them again with my glass, the eaglet was in the top of a great pine and the mother was feeding him. This mother eagle was bringing a disturbance into the young eaglet's life in order to teach him to fly. And Deuteronomy 32, verse 11, says that this is exactly what God uh, does with us. If you have faced disturbances and distresses and pains in your life, there are three issues that you need to look at. Properly interpreting God's providences, then properly responding to them, and then choosing to rejoice in them. It's going to be a three-point sermon, not my usual 15. (laughs) Um, First, properly interpreting God's difficult providences. Like this mother eagle, God often brings disturbances into our lives in order to launch us out into his will for us. And sadly, we often misinterpret these uh, providences as if God doesn't care. He's not noticing. He doesn't love us. But it really is the exact uh, opposite. Israel complained and complained and grumbled about God's providential dealings with them. And um, God said to them, basically in this chapter, that he did all of these things because he loved them, because he cared for them. Uh, God knows we don't like the disturbances, but he also knows that those things that frustrate you are really in your best interests to experience. And the question is, do we see God's disturbances as his lessons in our life. And if we do see them as lessons, do we try to learn from them? Do we ask, Lord, what are you teaching me through this trial that I'm going through? Are we actually benefiting from those providences? Job reflected on the lesson of disturbance that God had brought into his life and um, realized that before all of that had come upon him, He had been thinking, and this is a quote of his thoughts from Job 29, verse 18, I shall die in my nest and multiply my days as the sand. My root is spread out to the waters, and the dew lies all night on my branch. My glory is fresh within me, and my bow is renewed in my hand. He had become comfortable in his nest. He thought he had it made, 
And life could not be better, and he uses all of these metaphors to describe how rich and how beautiful and how comfortable his life had become. He wanted to stay right where he was uh, the rest of his life. He said, I will die in my nest. But God kicked him out of his nest because God wanted something more for him. He wanted to stretch his wings of faith and uh, grow uh, in grace. God had something much better for Job, and it was the same with Israel. I want to give you, first of all, uh, just a little bit of historical background uh, on what was uh, going on prior to this chapter. God was here describing the disturbances that he had brought into Israel's life in order to get them to move out of the land of Egypt. You see, the people of Israel, they may have complained plenty about their slavery, and they didn't like their slavery, but they were even more fearful and disliking of freedom because it had so many responsibilities and risks that were associated with it. And so because of their constantly wanting to go back to Egypt, God was giving them lesson after lesson, and this is just one of many lessons, that was telling them why he had worked in their, in their lives the way that he had. Freedom can be scary to those who have a slave mentality. And here's what Exodus 6 verse 1 says. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Very interesting phraseology, will drive them out of his land. They didn't really want to leave their nest. And that verse says God had to drive them out of the nest. He had to kick them out of the nest. And I would like to ask ourselves three questions under this first point of interpreting God's providence. First, are we convinced that leaving the nest and following the Lord's Scripture convictions and Scripture promptings is a necessary thing? Every one of us knows that an eaglet or any other bird needs to eventually leave their nest. That's obvious. But... There are some of us who do not respond to God's promptings in our own lives, and it's for the same reason probably that this little eaglet was a bit reluctant, that uh, home was the only home that it had known for quite some time. And we, in the same way, can get very comfortable with the old ways of doing things. We like the status quo. We don't like to get out of our comfort zone. And uh, we're just used to doing things that way, so we do not change. Or it may be that the eaglet was afraid, afraid of launching out into the unknown and the untried territory. It felt insecure. How often are we kept from God's best? Because even though we do make some efforts at following God, flapping our wings, as it were, on the edge of the nest, uh, we never have the courage to take the plunge into full-hearted obedience to the scripture. And if you're one of those who does not like to change uh, or who is insecure and afraid of change, then you need to be convinced that following the Lord's coaxings, the Spirit's coaxings to follow the scriptures um, that uh, he gives to make in our lives is absolutely necessary. God would not call us to make these changes, however uncomfortable they are, if they were not for our good. If they had been quick learners, they may not have had to go through quite as much as uh, they went through, and it's the same with us. So the first question I'm asking is, do we see the necessity for God's lessons of disturbance? Now, the disturbances he brings into our life can be many and varied. 
They could be financial distresses. It can be friends and others who mistreat us. Uh, uh, it, it, it can be a, a lot of distressing things. And if you look back on your life and you see some of the things in the past, you might not want to ever go through those difficulties again, but you need to ask yourself, are you glad that you're out of the nest? God uses these, and we're going to just examine this, because I don't think we think about this too frequently. Second question is, do we understand the methods that God uses to stir up the nest? Now, the naturalist I quoted, uh, he talked about all kinds of ways that eagles use, but in that particular illustration, it was uh, you know, trying to coax the bird out with food, and then when that didn't work, you know, prodding, pushing, finally just knocking the bird out of his perch. A.A. McLaren, the famous uh, Scottish preacher, said on this verse, and to stir up the nest means to make a man uncomfortable where he is. And God uses many means, some of them painful, in order to do that. Back in the 1990s, I sought out another pastor. Every year, I try to find somebody that can do upward mentorship with me, uh, and then I also seek out sidewards mentors among peers and downward mentorship. So uh, this one year, I went through an exercise that initially I was skeptical. It was a lot of hard work, but it's one of the most profoundly changing things that happened to me. But based on Romans eight twenty-eight, that all things work together for good, he had us just put lots and lots of sticky notes up onto a board of everything that we could think of that has influenced us for the worse or for the better, painful events, a people, it could be anything. And uh, then we sorted those out in chronological order, and then he pointed out to me that before every transition, because these you could see clear transitions of my life that the Lord had brought in, before every one of these transitions, there were a whole bunch of painful events that the Lord had providentially brought in to almost force me into the next uh, stage of life. And he said that he's mentored over 1,000 people through this project. And he said almost all of them have the same grouping before these transitions. Now, some need less pain than I do. I was kind of a slow learner in my early years, and the Lord had to bring a lot of things to kick me out of the nest. But uh, this is a common feature that God has used in people's lives. George Whitfield once said, Whenever I am tempted to settle down, God puts a thorn in my nest. What are some of the thorns that God puts into our nest? Illness, sorrow, pressure, pain, betrayal by friends, disappointment, distress, misery, calamities of one sort or another. And I, when I was in Bible school, I had one person who reacted vociferously against this. He said, God couldn't possibly be behind any of those things. Surely God would not be involved in sickness, would he? He said, God's hands must somehow be tied, and Satan is the only one behind that. But which is more comforting, to think that life is controlled by Satan or to believe with faithful Hannah, and let me quote her from 1 Samuel 2, verses 6 through 8, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the beggar from the ash heap. 
Now, if we believe that the world is really out of God's control, we have absolutely no consolation that the things that we are facing are not simply irrational, meaningless, hopeless events. We cannot get comfort by saying that God does not control these things. It's much better to believe the promise in Romans 8 that absolutely everything is working together by God's providence for the good of those uh, who love him, even the difficult things. God can use any event in your life to make you uncomfortable and to stir you up out of the nest. And if we do not have a reckless trust in the Lord and abandon ourselves to his clearly revealed will in the Scripture, if we don't jump out of the nest ourselves like the first eaglet did, uh, then God will have to bring disturbances of one kind or another uh, into our lives. Much better to jump out quickly. Now, some people, like I mentioned, are much slower learners than others. Uh, but uh, I want you to think in your own mind uh, whether the Lord has been stirring the nest in your life and whether there are some things that you need to interpret and ask the Lord, Lord, what is it that you are trying to accomplish in my life? The quicker you let go, the quicker you'll be able to to experience the thrill of flying with God as your coach, so to speak, and uh, to find the mother eagle swooping up and uh, carrying you, lifting you on his wings. Now, I will hasten to say that this is not the only reason God brings pain and difficulty into our lives, but it is one of the reasons that he does so. Now, another question that is worth asking is, do you realize that God always has a purpose for everything that he brings into your life or allows to be brought into your life. You could think of that purpose as teaching us to fly. God doesn't want us to be a baby our whole lives. He wants us to mature, not just walk around in the nest. He wants us to fly, to soar to ever greater heights of spiritual service. And I want to affirm before you, the scripture is quite clear, God is never arbitrary in the difficulties he brings into our lives. He uses those to mature us in Christ Jesus. So those, those are the three questions under point number one, interpreting God's disturbances. Second main point is properly responding to God's lessons of disturbance. Now, I've already hinted at our responses, but uh, there are three things that we need to have in place if we're to properly respond. First of all, we need to utterly abandon ourselves to God's will. I think, uh, you know, Jesus said, not my will, but yours uh, be done. But Queen Esther is a marvelous example of a person who just abandoned herself to God's will. If God wants me to go out of my nest by going up to King Ahasuerus, uh, which could have been the death penalty for her, Uh, She was willing to do it, and Mordecai actually convinced her. Uh, He said to her, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. And her response is classic, if I perish, I perish. Basically saying, Lord, even if it kills me, I want to obey your word. I'm willing to do anything for you. We are all called to do that. Secondly, as we do that, we need to replace doubts with complete confidence in God. These verses trace God's perfect providence. Uh, This is not just a confidence in his existence. It is a confidence God knows exactly what he is doing in our lives, that he is faithful to his promises, that he does indeed love us. Uh, We need to have the confidence that when we offer up our bodies as a living sacrifice, 
we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Notice those three adjectives describing God's providences in our lives. It's good, it's acceptable, it is a perfect uh, will of God. And having confidence in that will enable us to learn and be thankful to God rather than being like the Israelites in that first generation and being constant grumblers and constant complainers about God's providences. Walking by faith rather than by sight is like a young eaglet learning to fly. And we have the guidance of God's word calling us to duty, but until we launch out in faith and put God to the test, we're not going to experience the joy of soaring on Weagle's Inks. And uh, later I'll give you some practical examples of that. But we've got to have this confidence and faith. Paul, Paul actually calls it um, the obedience, the obedience of faith. The third response is absolute love for God. The rest of Deuteronomy 32 goes on to describe how despite God's good provisions for Israel, they were not grateful to him. The best thing that we could hope from our children when we bring discipline, loving discipline into their lives is that they would eventually wake up and realize, thank you, mom and dad, thank you that you brought that discipline. You didn't just let me do what I wanted to do. You did what was in my best interest. Which brings us to the last point. Third major point that I want to draw from the verse is, am I perpetually rejoicing in God's lessons of disturbance? This is actually the hardest of the three lessons. How do we rejoice in God's difficult providences? Uh, That's a tough one. Now the chapter from which this verse is taken is actually a long song of praise from Moses. And he had learned to rejoice in these circumstances uh, rather than seeing them as calamities. But it's not enough for Moses to rejoice. He gave this song for them to sing, for them to rejoice in those same uh, providences. And we can rejoice perpetually when we see those things as indicators of the fact that God's got a, a, a perfect and personal plan. He's got his powerful presence with us and his skillful protection. Those three things make us approach those, uh, those disturbances more like a, a roller coaster ride rather than a free fall off of a cliff. Now, there's, the adrenaline still flows when you're going down that roller coaster, right? It's still somewhat scary, but because you know you're going to make it through safely, uh, it's a different kind of an experience. And so let's look at each of those three things. First, God has a personal plan for you. His personal plan... Uh, can be seen in a similar verse dealing with the eagle in Exodus 19, verse 4. And here's what God says. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine." So in God's covenant, yes, there's a corporate dimension where God deals with the church as a whole, but there is a number of scriptures that indicate God has a personal uh, plan for us as well. We're not just dealing with a large computer uh, that does not care about our interests, our needs, our emotions and aspirations. God's plan is person to person in a way that shows care and concern. Mother Eagle would not care for her eaglet if she just let the eaglet have its way. Uh, I know a lot of parents, they say, well, I'm not disciplining my child because I love my child so much. And the scripture says, no, it's the exact opposite. Well, how much more so of God, 
who uh, loves us far more than any parent could. The second, think of his powerful presence on our behalf. God not only cares for us, he has the power to make sure that his personal plans for each one of you will be fully and beautifully carried out. Mother Eagle did not just kick the baby out and uh, let it fend for itself. Uh, the, the mother ministered perfectly to the eaglet's needs in such a way that it guaranteed that that eaglet would learn to fly. And since God is the maker of all things and the governor of all things, he has an even greater power to ensure that the training that he is doing right now in each one of your lives is going to be uh, uh, perfect. It's going to be carried out. He's never going to ask you to do something that he's not also going to supply the grace uh, to be able to triumph through it. And so his grace and power accompany his requests uh, that we step out of the nest. Third, his skillful protection. God not only has a loving and a very personal plan for us, and he not only has the power to enable us to live out those plans, he also protects us from spiritual destruction. My teacher at Bible school, T.S. Rendell, once quoted Colonel F.J. Miles as saying this, she, and he's referring to the mother eagle, she, diving beneath, catches the eaglet on her broad back and bearing it beneath her pinions, carries it to the safety and shelter of the ledge. And so the game goes on until the eaglet learns to fly. Never, never once in the whole world's history has it been placed on record that a little eaglet in learning to fly has been permitted to fall to its destruction by the parent bird. Never. And we can have an even greater confidence that God will never allow us to crash to the ground and to die spiritually. Paul said, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1.6. Paul in the last verse of Romans 8 said, there's absolutely nothing in this creation that can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you are prone to doubt your salvation or you're constantly feeling that like the bottom is falling out from underneath you, you really need to park on these promises, promises of the Scripture. God is like that mother eagle, ready to lift you up in an instant, but he wants you to learn not to constantly be fearing the heights. You need not be emotionally distressed continually. You can rest with confidence in his promises to you. So don't concentrate on the ground that's rushing up at you uh, unless you're approaching it like, uh, you know, you're on a roller coaster and you know you're going to get through this. Uh, step out in faith and know that he will not let you down. Now, the Spirit of God has already convicted every one of you of some areas you need to grow in this week, this year, and I don't need to spell those out for you. I will give some illustrations, but don't argue with the Holy Spirit. Uh, the verse before this in Deuteronomy 32 says much the same. Verse 10 says, He found him in a desert land and in the wasteland, a howling wilderness. He encircled him. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Now, we are very, very protective of our eyes because they're so sensitive. For God to say that he's treating you as the apple of his eye is astounding. Okay? The, the whole verse really speaks of his skillful protection of us. Now, I should probably give one caution, and that is don't step out of the nest if God has not called you to step out of the nest. 
Uh, some people think that they've got these uh, mystical callings and they get themselves into trouble. We're talking about the clear revelation of the Scripture. And uh, I had one fellow uh, tell me, uh, he did something really uh, strange. And he said, well, it was an open door. I told him, well, some open doors lead to elevator shafts <laughs> with a rude awakening at the bottom. Uh, we're talking about following the clear voice of God as revealed in the infallible uh, Bible. Uh, eaglets actually have been known to fall out of their nests when the mother eagle was not there, and they got hurt. Okay, Some uh, actually fell to their, their death. And in the same way, when we jump into things that God has not called us to do, when we're presumptuous, yeah, we can get hurt. We need to listen to his scriptures. Now, verse 10 says that God instructed Israel. Verse 12 says he led Israel. So we're not talking about an irrational jumping out of the nest. God instructed and led them through the scriptures, and there's plenty enough in the Bible to make us scared without inventing new stuff. Plenty in there. Uh, and I'm just going to give you three uh, examples by way of application of what we've seen. God has called us all to tithe 10% of our income to the church. And some of us, being fearful of the financial heights, are just nervous. We flutter around the nest and we try to do a little bit, maybe tithing 1% or 2% or 3%. But God says, no, bring all the tithes into the storehouse and prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. And we see other people flying despite the fact that they don't have much income and they're enjoying life and the Lord's prospering them and we long to fly like they are flying but we just don't have the courage to tithe. God's coaxing us to tithe. Mother Eagle's uh, 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 allowing us to realize there is incredible blessing that's in here but we don't listen and what does God have to do eventually? He has to take our trust in finances away. He's got to knock the financial pinnings out from underneath us. Don't be a slow learner and force God to knock your financial nest out from under your feet. So again, we're not talking about jumping out based on some mystical calling. We're talking about the roller coaster of obeying the Scripture's calls to obedience. Those do indeed test our faith. Another example God calls each one of us to be witnesses of our faith, to testify with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. When I was a teenager and into my early 20s, that terrified me. It scared me to death to, to be a witness in front of other people. And the Lord had to deal real roughly with me. You know, I could maybe share with you some of the rough dealings of the Lord to get me out of my, uh, out of my fear. So here's the thing. Some of you might be fearful to be witnesses. And when the opportunity to witness comes and the Lord's prodding you to do so, jump out of the nest and watch God come through for you. By the way, you don't have to be incredibly wise in your witness. Uh, I've seen the Lord lead Christ, uh, people to Christ through some of the most bumbling uh, examples of witnessing ever because he's the one who changes hearts. It's not us. He loves to use weak tools. Uh, I didn't have this in my notes, but it just came to me. Um, a young man in a Baptist church in Atlanta uh, who really wanted to witness. He was convicted, but he was scared to death to do so. So he got some tracks, 
And he, he went onto the sidewalk, and he went up to this businessman who was walking through, and he said, uh, do you want to go to heaven? And the man said, no. And he said, well, go to hell then. <laughs> and uh, the man snatched the track out of his hand, and that man all day had those words going through his head. Go to hell then. Go to hell then. And he realized he was headed toward hell. And he read the track, got converted, looked at the address on the back, which was that Baptist church, went to the pastor. He, he, he was soundly converted through this man's bumbling testimony, right? So the, the, the key thing is, our fears, our hang-ups keep us from flying. And God wants us to just, in our weakness, jump and watch God come through over and over and over again. By the way, the more times you jump, the easier it becomes to witness. Okay, another example. Let's say that you have stolen something from your company in the past, and you were convicted, you asked God for forgiveness, but you are scared to death of confessing this to your company and paying what the Bible requires, you know, 120%, give that plus another 20%, because you're convinced that if you confess this to your boss, you're going to get fired, and your family is going to be in deep, deep uh, trouble and, and financial straits. And what I would say to you is, don't worry about the heights that are rushing up at you. Take God at his word. If he's commanded you to do something, you do it, and watch God come through and provide for you. He will bear you up on eagle's wings. And you could multiply hundreds of examples of God's commands, which are, indeed, hard to carry out. But we're not called to carry them out in our own strength, are we? It's all by grace. We want to do it. We flutter around and make faint-hearted attempts at obeying God. But if we do not boldly jump into the air in faithful obedience to the mother eagle coaxing us to the edge of the nest, then God will have to bring greater disturbance into our life. Believe me, it's much easier to go through the pain of obeying than it is through the pain of God's disturbance. And so hopefully we'll be quick learners of this providential lesson so that the Lord does not have to repeat it many, many times. May we trust God to be the perfect teacher the perfect mother eagle, so to speak. Amen. Father God, all of us have had times where we have struggled on the edge of the nest, fearful of obeying the promptings and the coaxings that you have given to us to obey your word. Please forgive us. Please forgive us for not trusting you. And I pray that if there are any here this morning uh, who uh, have been convicted by your Holy Spirit, uh, that they would not resist and uh, have to be kicked out of the nest, so to speak, but that they would be like that first eaglet and jump out trusting you to carry them through. Bless this, your people, Father. May this word be quickened to our hearts, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.